You're listening to the sermon audio from the Shore Church located in North Vancouver. For more information about the Shore, upcoming events, or to donate, you can head to www.theshorechurch.ca. Matthew chapter 5, all the way through chapter 7. I'm just going to read the intro, and then we'll get into the text of Scripture that we're going to be preaching Uh, The very first thing after the intro, which is verses 13 through 16 this morning. But you can see this right at the start of this, where it says, Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain. And when Jesus sat down, Jesus' disciples came to him. And Jesus opened his mouth and taught them. So this is the beginning of that sermon. He says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who, per, who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven." This is the word of God. All right, you may be seated. Let's pray one more time, then we'll jump in. Uh, Jesus, we come before you. We come before your word. Uh, We know that it is sharper than any two-edged sword, that it cuts deep into the soul. And Lord, I just rely on this word now, uh, this morning, that it will cut deep into the hearts that may not have been affected yet for change, that they will see you, Jesus, as who you are that they'll see that you are the great teacher, that you are the true savior, that we are to surrender to you above all things. And I pray, Jesus, that they will see this in this world today that is so fractured, that they'll see that you, Jesus, are the true answer, that surrendering our life to you is what actually will give us great purpose and great meaning in the days to come until you return again. And so I just pray, Jesus, as we talk about light and salt and uh, our role in this world to bring you glory, Jesus, I pray that we will do so, that we will follow your lead, that we will follow your word, and Lord, that you'll be glorified in it. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is, like I said, one of the most popular sermons ever recorded. We see it in all the way from Matthew chapter 5 all the way through chapter 7. And uh, it, is, it is an amazing text of Scripture. Uh, Jesus stood there on the hill with a bunch of his disciples and many people gathered to listen to what he had to say. And these things he had to say have continually affected people from, this, from, today, from that day all the way through to today. 
And my, my prayer this week is actually that it will affect you as well today. That this will be life-changing for you. That it will that'll change you and give you wisdom and grace and, in all kinds of different ways. And I was thinking as uh, this has been such an influencing text of Scripture, his, this sermon, I thought about that word, influencer. And that we are called to be influencers. And there's all kinds of influencers in this world today on YouTube and Instagram and, and uh, they share all kinds of sometimes important things, sometimes uh, interesting things, many times really dumb things. Uh, but this influencing of Jesus today, like I said already, has changed people's lives, has changed and given them wisdom And like I said, my prayer for us this morning as a church is that we will become influencers of Jesus today. So my outline for this morning is salt, which is the inward change of the individual. Uh, Light, which is the outward change uh, that took place already in the inward. And then the, the glory of God, which we are called to do always. So let's take a look at that first one, salt So salt, the inward, verses 13 again, it says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Such an interesting text. I want to chunk this into two kind of areas. The first chunk is going to be the first seven words. This is the first seven words, the chunk. The second chunk is going to be the warning after uh, if you don't follow those first seven words. Okay, so we got two chunks of this passage and the, the second chunk will be the, that, that remaining warning, like I said. But read again those first seven words with me in your Bibles or maybe it's back on the screen, but where it says, you are the salt of the earth. Like, think about that. This is Jesus just opening his sermon, giving us a massive list of those who are going to be blessed And then his first words out of his intro paragraph is, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. This is massive identity language for those who have confessed Jesus as Lord, that have believed upon him for salvation. You are the salt of the earth. And being salt is directly tied to those verses 2 through 11, that, that intro statement. It's directly tied to it. Like the salt of the earth is the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, which righteousness is an interesting word, but it's, it's thirsting for good. It's thirsting for right living, to right sta- rightly stand before the God of the universe. I thirst for that. I hunger for right standing before God. It's the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemaker, those persecuted for righteousness, those reviled because of Jesus' name. Those are the salt. That's who it's directly tied to. And you, church, you that have surrendered to Jesus as Lord and Savior, are salt. You are ones with purpose. You are ones that have preserving power, but not only preserving power, but power to restore and bring life and joy to this world to bring reconciliation to others through Jesus in you. This is the inward change of a Christian. See, these character quality of 
qualities of verse 2 through 11 are actually part of you. It is why you are named salt. You are the salt of the earth. See, if that is true, we have to understand what salt does then. Right? And so I did some dig deep diving into what salt is and and you come up with a lot of really interesting things some things that I didn't know when I started studying what salt does and so Jesus being the creator of all things and all things are for him and through him then he's going to use these analogies perfectly which we fail at miserably when we use an analogy but he uses it perfectly so he uses us as salt and so you got to understand what does salt do well, there's a couple things that it does. Salt was used as an agent of preservation. Like, I don't know if you guys have ever had a pizza pocket. So good. You know, like when you heat that thing up and you bite it and it burns the crap out of the roof of your mouth. You know what I mean? You've been there before where you bite, you can't help but bite it and it's like pops all the hot cheese into your mouth and then you try it again like a month later when your mouth restores back to normalny, normalcy. Normally. Is that a word normally? Oh, let's, let's, let's make it up. But Jesus didn't have a freezer to go to, right? He didn't have pizza pocket experience. So back in the day, they would shoot an animal, kill an animal. They wouldn't even shoot an animal. They'd shoot it with a spear or an arrow, whatever. They would kill this animal, and they would take it home, clean it up, cut it into portions, and they would eat a portion of this animal, and the rest of the animal they would cover with salt. Cover it as a preserving agent, so it wouldn't spoil, it wouldn't go bad, it would, it would last for a few more days that they were able to partake in the leftovers in the next week to come. See, salt was also used, like it is today, to bring the taste of food out. I didn't realize this, but salt actually breaks down cell walls to actually bring forth the, the taste of certain foods. Some cultures, like the Roman Empire, used salt as a way of payment. And it was a very popular commodity and still is today. Some cultures use it as a way of showing deep covenantal friendship. They would share salt as a symbol of devotion to one another. So maybe next time you go to McDonald's, grab in a couple extra salt packets and just go, you're my best friend. And you give them a salt packet from McDonald's. It's a showing of friendship. Interesting, we don't do that today anymore, but maybe we should start. But salt had many uses in the culture of the day, but the way Jesus was using it was really describing the identity of the Christian in the inward heart motivation of that person. He was saying, you Christian, you follower of Jesus, you follower of me, you have preserving power. In your witness, in your love for others, you help preserve the lost to life. You break down the mundane walls of this life and help others see it the way it is supposed to be lived. Life becomes a joy even in suffering and trial. As a Christian, you don't want your life to end, but you take joy in each moment because you know it is a gift given to you by God himself. This is life-changing. The unbeliever will see the joy you have in life and want to do the same. They may not understand Jesus at this point, but they are drawn to your saltiness. Your saltiness produces lifelong friendships because of who you are and who resides in you. And as a follower of Jesus, the salty life brings change. Like, as I was thinking about this this week, man, you have Jonah 
Think about the story of Jonah, Jonah and the whale. If you're not familiar with that story, it was this, this prophet of God which was called to go and share with the city of Nineveh. And, and he, went, he rebelled. He went the direct opposite direction. And, and through amazing circumstances, God brought him back to Nineveh to share the good news of, of God. And in his reluctancy, he shared a salty message to repent and believe in God. And the whole city changed. The whole city. You have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Another story maybe you're not familiar with. Maybe some of you are if you've grown up in Sunday school. But in the book of Daniel, which is actually a really interesting book to read, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, they were challenged to bow down to this massive idol that Nebuchadnezzar had built. And they wouldn't. They stood firm. They just stood there when everybody else was bowing. And so easily they're pointed out and they're brought up to Nebuchadnezzar, the king. And they said, crank up the heat of the fire and burn these guys. And the furnace was so cooking hot that even the guards that threw them into the fire died of the heat. And Nebuchadnezzar looks into the fire and sees four men. Not three, but four. Some would say Jesus in the flesh came and was walking with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the flames of fire. Nebuchadnezzar yells to them, come out. Three come out. They didn't smell of smoke. They had all their clothes still. They're living this life. And Nebuchadnezzar, in the saltiness of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in their saltiness of standing firm on the foundation of God, Nebuchadnezzar goes, whoever doesn't bow to their God, I'm going to rip your limbs off. The switch of saltiness. Daniel was salty when thrown into the lion's den for praying to God. Paul Paul was salty when proclaiming Jesus to those he rubbed shoulders with. Peter, James, and John, and the other disciples of Jesus that stood for righteousness in the name of Jesus and changed the hearts of many to confess Jesus as Lord. They were salty. And in your story, and you probably have someone in your life that was kind of salty, that you just saw as someone different. Uh, I was sharing uh, and asking people, I love, my favorite question is, to, can you share your story? I, I would love to hear more about your, your understanding of Jesus and, and your story of like how you became to, to follow Jesus. And even just this week, I heard someone say, you know what, someone, they didn't use this language because they, they didn't know I was preaching from this text, but... They were like, you know what? Someone salty in my life was a babysitter of mine. Other people have shared their teacher was salty or a youth leader or a camp counselor or a pastor or, or a mother or a father. And I'm sure you can think back on your story. I can think back on mine and I can, I can remember vividly some salty individuals in my life that, that drew me towards Jesus because of their character. And it's interesting when you start getting a whole bunch of people together and you ask, like, what about them helped you discover Jesus? And it's their love for God, it's their love for people, and it's how they live their life. Really three things that are very central in all these different people in our life. And everyone that I've read today, as well as those individuals that you might be thinking about, those are salty characters. See, Men and women that have gone before you and have lived their identity as salt of the earth, 
This is what we're called to as well. See, you are the salt of the earth to bring restoration, to bring reconciliation, to bring renewal, to bring a taste of Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection, to bring hope to the hopeless, all for the glory of God. That's the first chunk. The second chunk is a warning, like I said. Take a look on the screen. It says this, But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. See, as I was thinking about this, salt brings restoration, it brings life. But it also kills Like, you have to be careful where you throw a big chunk of salt. You cannot throw it on your grass. You cannot throw it in your garden. You cannot throw it in your flower bed. It will suck all the moisture out of that area and kill whatever is in there. This is what salt does. See, it will take away that moisture. It will will be an agent of killing. See, when you lose your saltiness and all those things listed above in verses 2 through 11... You are no longer a preserver, but rather you become a bad example and maybe even an instrument for death. See, you're only useful to be thrown on the path to be trampled, as our text reads. You see, when we are corrupted by using our saltiness for our own gain rather than God's kingdom's sake, we become useless. See, this is, this is the person that was never a Christian. It was never a Christian. One pastor put it this way. They are professing disciples of Jesus. They profess it, but, they not, but not a possessing disciple of Jesus. Let me explain what that pastor meant. In Galatians 2.20, it's on the screen. It, it reads this. I, Paul, have been crucified with Christ. I align myself with his life. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the salt in you. You are salty because of Jesus. You are salty because of what he has done for you on the cross. See, the unsalty salt is like the demons we see in the scripture. They all proclaim to know Jesus. Every one of them. If you walk through the book of Mark, which is, you see a lot of demonic activity in the book of Mark, in the gospel of Mark. And in that book, you'll see demon after demon come out and profess Jesus of who he is. They profess him. You are the savior of the world. You are the king. You are the Lord. You are the redeemer. They profess They all proclaim to know Jesus, but never follow him. They never surrender. They never repent and turn to Jesus. They proclaim, but they don't possess. And the clearest example in the scripture of mankind is Judas. He walked with Jesus for three years as a disciple, proclaiming Jesus, serving alongside Jesus, but never possessing Jesus. He was worried about personal wealth. He was focused on his kingdom rather than God's. There was never an inner saltiness in him. And I wonder, and we have to wonder, friends, why is Jesus preaching this? 
Like this is a question that you have to ask when you read the scripture. This is the greatest sermon account of Jesus, Matthew 5 through 7. And this is the first thing out of the gate. Like why is he preaching this? Because he knows that there's many, going to be many in his church like this. Seeking out signs and miracles rather than the sign and the miracle of God in flesh. They will corrupt people with false teachings and tickling their ears with things they want to hear. These are the people that go to church for years, serve for years, and then disappear quietly. I've seen it too often. It's usually not the ones that are loud and boisterous and walking out halfway through a sermon. It's usually those that have served for years and just eventually disappearing. Why? Because the worries of the world have gained a foothold. They've choked them out. Kids' sports become the priority. Bible reading fades or really never began. Vacation becomes more important than the mission of the church. And vacation is not a bad thing. But on your vacation, do you go to church? It's an important ask. Like, how important is church to you? How important is the gathering of God's people? That's why, we, that's why I'm trying to give you all of us an example, and myself included. I need this. Why do we pray for the persecuted church every Sunday morning? Because I need this. I need to be reminded that there's brothers and sisters fighting for their faith. And I want to pray for boldness and courage for them because I need it. We all need it. And I want to give an example of this. What does this look like? So that we don't fall into the unsalty and thrown onto the path that we might just be trampled. So Jesus warns us, that this type of salt is worthless, it is dead, but it is also deadly, so be careful where you allow it to be thrown. I guess we could ask ourselves, am I filled with the salt of Jesus that provides life? Or am I filled with the salt of death that will dry my soul and make me into a desert land? We have to ask the question. See, one way to know if you are salty or if you are losing your saltiness is how you respond to Jesus' word. Do you desire change? Or are you satisfied with where you are at? That's one tell. There's many more. But are you satisfied? Or do you want to continue to grow? Do you want to continue to learn? Because if this says it's living and active, then there's got to be more to learn. You can't just read it once and be like, well, I read the Bible. Because I've read it probably up towards 20 plus times. And every time I read it, it, I'm awakened to more things. It blows my mind. That's how I know I'm saved. It's one of my assurances of my salvation. Another one is like, I know my saltiness. I'm just giving you examples, but, but I hated reading, hated it with a passion. Like Jody knows this, like my first book, I think it was when I had a hernia operation and I couldn't do anything. So she's like, why don't you read a novel? I was like, lame. But I ended up reading one and I was like, oh, interesting. I hated reading. 
I would rather fail English class than read the book. Like Grapes of Wrath, in like grade 10 English or whatever, you read, like I read the first, cha- the first page of the fir- every chapter, wrote my paper and was happy with my 50% mark. I was happy. I was joy. I can't believe I got a 50%. And you gave, like, I didn't even read the book. <laughs> I hated reading. But every day since 12, I read this. I, c- I couldn't not read it. I wanted to learn about it. I wanted to know more about it. I knew based on my faith in this, I knew I was saved because it's his word. How do you explain that? Hating reading with a passion, but yet reading every day? And I want you to challenge yourself this week on that. How are you? Where does your saltiness flesh itself out? And are you, not, are, you, are you unsatisfied with certain areas of your life and you're going, I need, to, I need to get some salt in this? And ask for help. We need to do this as a community. This is all of discipleship. Let's move to the next one. Light. This is the outward expression of what happened inwardly. That inward saltiness starts, it can't just stay there, it has to come out, and it comes out as light. Verse 14, it says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. What a great passage. What a great, what a, what great examples that we can learn from this. But again, this first seven words are really important. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A few things here. When God changes your heart, friends, trust me on that. When God changes your heart, you cannot hide it. Like you won't be able to. You won't, like, the, like Jesus is saying something like, you're going to be a lamp, but you're going to be hidden under a, a table or a basket. <laughs> like that's going to feel so awkward to you that you won't be able to do it. When you're changed by Jesus Christ, you, will, you cannot stop yourself from shining that light because it's him that's in you. And you won't want to, right? You won't want to. This is one of those assurances, again, of salvation. You will run and desire the opportunities to share Jesus with others. You will start thinking about ways you can tell the people around you about him. You will start doing the regular things in your day differently because you will want Jesus to lead you in them. Like the mundane things of vacuuming and dishes and laundry and mowing the lawn and putting the garbage out and talking to your neighbor... All will change. Everything will change because of the light in you. You'll start seeing things differently. You'll start seeing the world differently. You'll start seeing your neighbor differently. You'll start seeing your wife or your your husband differently. You'll start seeing your kids differently. And and you'll start seeing your, your fellow employees in your workplace differently. You'll start seeing your boss differently. You'll start maybe seeing your employees differently. You'll start seeing the people that cut you off on the road differently, which is hard to imagine. But it's going to change you. It's going to change you. I promise you that. When you surrender to Jesus, who died for you, and he's calling you, surrender to me. 
I will give you life. That seems like a pretty good deal. Right? Amen. Can someone say amen? That's a good deal, man. Like, I'll just do what you want me to do. Okay, I'll give you eternal life. Sweet. And it's a free gift. Before we even ask, he says, I died for you. See, you won't be able to stop this. You'll start thinking about everything differently. See, the light of Jesus in you cannot be stopped or hidden. It is likened in verse 14 to a city on a hill where your eyes are drawn towards it, right? Like if you've ever been on a dark spot, like I grew up somewhat in the kind of grade six up till grade 12 in the prairies, and there are some, men dark areas in the prairies because there's like no city around. And, but when you come closer to the city, you see this, this glow. Unfortunately, there's no hills, so I can't understand the, the, the hilltop analogy that Jesus uses, but the city on the hill. But that, that city where you were walking through this dark area and you can see a city in the far distance, you can't help but your eyes go to that. You can't help it. And this is you, Christian. You are like a city on a hill. The unbeliever will notice you. They might hate you, revile you, persecute you, but they will never say, I never saw them. No, they see you. Then in verse 15, it says, Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Again, like salt, light influences others. Salt preserves, brings a taste to life, provides friendship to others. Light repels the dark, provides sight, a sense of safety and assurance to others. See, when I come home and there's just one of my girls, I got three girls, and if just one of them is at home by themselves, I, I have to come into the house and I spend the next minute or two just going around the whole house and turning off all the lights. I hear some uh, relating going on in the, in the audience. This is, this is why. Because light provides some safety. It provides safety. There's too many dark corners in, in the, the rooms, and I, I'd rather see what's in the corner. It provides safety. See, Jesus in you is that light to others. It is attractive to others. It gives a sense of safety to others you are with. See, our first core value of the shore is evangelism. Our core values are really simple. Evangelism, discipleship, community. We need to all know this like the back of our hands. Evangelism, discipleship, community. These are the core values that we as a Christian want to live out. And evangelism is the light in you being expressed. It's the lamp on the stand. It's the city on the hill. It is the expression of your hope in you to others. We are to bring the light to all people, to provide eternal safety to all people, to bring the hope of Jesus to all people, to bring knowledge of Jesus to all people, and to fight against darkness, to be influencers in the world. And when you evangelize with gentleness and love, giving our others a reason for the hope you have, it brings security. See, we see this throughout the scripture, and I'll give you two spots. Philemon chapter 1, verse 6. There's only one chapter in Philemon. It's one page. Really great book. It's powerful. 
But verse 6 says this, I pray that the sharing of your faith, see, it's not an option here, but I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us, all for the sake of Christ. Or Paul calling Timothy to the ministry set before him says this in 1 Timothy 4, 10 through 16. Again, providing hope, providing life, providing safety, providing a light to the people around him. Look at what Paul says to Timothy as he's planting a church. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God. It's the light within us coming out. Who is the savior of all people, especially to those of, all, of those who believe? Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Skipping to verse 13. Devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. That all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself. This is why it's so important to ask yourself the question. And on the teaching, persist in this, for by so doing, get this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is the light of the world. Jesus living through us. This is evangelism. is the outward expression of the light of Jesus in you. And we must be out in our neighborhoods shining the light of life. This is our mission. See, church, this is our call. It's our mission on our front page of our website. Make Jesus known. This is why we exist. See, we're not to hide anymore the outward expression of Jesus in us. It's foolishness to hide a lamp under a basket. It's foolishness. Story just popped up uh, even just this week as I was thinking about this sermon and and hiding that, that light under a basket is like another parable that Jesus shares with his disciples and those following him. And it's the parable of the talents and giving five and, 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 and two and then one to another And you see the one go and hide it. And it's a scary passage because the one that hid it comes back to Jesus and gives him his one talent back. And what does Jesus do if you remember the parable? He takes that one talent and that person spends eternal hell. See, we're not to hide anymore the outward expression of Jesus in us. That person was a professing follower but not a possessing follower follower of Jesus. So let's look at number three, the glory of God always. So why be in our neighborhood? We'll look at the last half of verse 16. It says, so we've already said, be salt, be light, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See, it can't be them. It has to be Jesus in them. See, this is the inward transformation of your heart. This is the outward expression of what Jesus has done inwardly. And the motivation is important. See, we don't do things for the affirmation of others, but for the glory of God. There's a purity in it. 
There's a purity of shining Jesus and constantly pointing to him. He's the reason. He's the one that, the reason why I have strength. He's the reason that I'm where I am currently in this day. It's all him. See, we don't do these things for the affirmation, but for the glory of God. And the good works are being seen, are people people seeing the work of Jesus in you. There is nothing more powerful than a salty life lived for Jesus. It preserves, it provides taste, it influences the life of others. And there is nothing more powerful than the light of Jesus. It provides hope, it provides safety, and it illuminates the path to eternal life. And again, there are a lot of influencers on YouTube and Instagram, but there will be a day where you will stand face to face with Jesus and be asked, What did you do with the salt and the light I gave you? Did you throw the salt on the path to be trampled? Did you hide your light that I gave you under a basket? Or did you share the life of Jesus that transformed you from death to life? So what is our plan this coming week? Are we going to live in the continued complacency of disobedience? Or are we going to to be continually transformed into his likeness? Going out into all nations, proclaiming Jesus is the risen Savior, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. You see, we are evil, and we need a Savior to save us. And that Savior is Jesus. He's the only hope. He's the only way, the truth, and the life. And all who confess him will be saved. So let's not be snuffed out or trampled, but let's stand with the armor of light that Jesus might reign here on earth as he does in heaven. Let's pray. Jesus, help us. Help us be faithful to your word. Help us be challenged And help us respond to the challenge, not just to hear it and then ignore it, but Lord, that we will respond to the challenge to follow and glorify your name. That we will follow your mission, not man-made missions, but your mission to go out into all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and sharing about you, Jesus, as their true and only Savior from the sin and the rebellion against the Holy God. Help us, Lord, in that task this week. Help us personally with our families, with our friends, the people we rub shoulders with. Lord, help us love them the way you love them. Help us be light and salt to the world around us this week. Help us, Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Amen.